Right, good evening everybody. Greetings to you in the name of Jesus tonight. It's good to be together again to worship the Lord. And thank you, thank you for coming to church tonight. The week of revival meetings is all easy for you, right? <laughs> no, I know it's not all easy because, well, we were in some of your households and we noticed that there are quite a few children among us. And you know what? Getting children ready for church isn't always the easiest thing to do. So anyway, thank you for making the effort to be here this evening. And it's been a delight and a joy to share with you. And also, uh, thank you for feeding us so well. We are well fed, so we are grateful. You can turn in your Bible this evening to to, uh, Mark chapter 8. Thank you for the water tonight. And the fan overhead. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. The message tonight is entitled, Ashamed of Jesus. And I'm almost sorry. No, I'm not sorry. But almost sorry to have this message tonight. Because it's going to point out to you, one of your weaknesses. It's going to point out to me one of my weaknesses. And by the end of the message this evening, you might feel bad. But that's okay. Because sometimes good things happen when we feel bad. So anyway, let's look at Mark chapter 8. Verses 34 through 38, and then we will look at a few of these things in further detail. It says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall Save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." So there is the scripture tonight, and uh, how many programs does God have for people? How many different programs? I'm not talking about the kind of programs we have. We have programs to take care of this, and we have committees for that, and, you know, we have our committees and our programs, but how many programs for the followers of Jesus are there? Are there many different tracks you can be on? Are there many different ways that God will direct you and let you live? Um, I hope you're, you're thinking about that and you're concluding that Jesus made it clear that there's one program. And it is a universal program and it applies to everyone and anyone who makes a choice to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. 
he did not say that there's one track for the Amish, there's a different one for the Mennonites, and there's an altogether other one for the Baptists, and the Catholics have their own. That is not what Jesus said. He used a word here that doesn't leave anyone out. He used the word whosoever. And so the word whosoever means it is absolutely, positively, totally, thoroughly, and any other adverb that describes that, it is, it is for everyone. And so that if anyone, it doesn't matter what their background is, their ethnicity is, it doesn't matter what their country of origin is, it doesn't matter what your culture is, it doesn't matter what your society is, it doesn't matter what your denomination is, it doesn't matter anything, your language, nothing, nothing. All those things are brought together in one word, and it is the word whosoever, and Jesus makes it clear that there is one program for all who will follow him. And so if you're here tonight and you are a professed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is exactly what Jesus defines as the life of his follower. So it doesn't matter what your denomination is. It doesn't matter what your doctrinal uh, affiliations are. It is for everyone. And so that includes everybody that is sitting in this building, this room here tonight, and everyone who is not sitting here tonight. It's for everyone. Whosoever. And so no one is excluded from this instruction and this command of Jesus Christ. He is giving a universal statement. Now, the question tonight is why are not these instructions taken seriously by his followers? Notice I implied that they're not. (laughs) Did you notice that? Why are these instructions not taken seriously by every professed follower of Jesus Christ? I don't know. I don't know. But there are many churches in this community. I drove by many of them. Maybe I even drove through by some I was not supposed to drive by because I missed my turn, okay? But I, I drove by many churches in this community, and I wonder, I wonder even in this church here tonight, if the people who are professed followers of Jesus have taken his instructions seriously. And I don't want to imply tonight that you don't. I don't want to do that. But I know that... It's a really heavy order, and it's not an easy road to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we see three things that he says tonight about what a follower of his will do. Um, It seems Christianity has described and applied Jesus' teachings contrary to these clear instructions. Now, I don't know what you see as you look around you and see the church world, okay? We have the church world, and I just got done reading a book on church history, so it talked about uh, the Reformation, it talked about Martin Luther, it talked about Zwingli, it talked about Michael Sattler and Conrad Grebel and 
some of those individuals, which I hope you are recognizing at least some of those names. But, uh, you know, there are different groups. There's different denominations. There's different schools of thought. And how have we applied or failed to apply these teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ? Tonight, they are for every follower, no matter their denomination, their interpretation, or their background. It is for you here tonight in this church, and it is for me. Jesus commands me, me, to deny myself. If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ tonight, I must deny myself. Now, why must we deny ourselves tonight? Why is that? We live in a culture that says, serve yourself. Our culture says, give to yourself. Our society says, give pleasure to yourself. Entertain yourself. Do what you want to do with your life. Your life is yours to do with what you want. Don't let anybody else tell you what to do. That is the message of our society. And even though we may profess to be separate from the world, as our brother was just sharing, we may may profess tonight that we are not part of this culture, this society that we live in. We cannot deny tonight that the thinking of our world does sink in or seep into us to a degree. And so we may have that same selfish mindset that the world around us has. And Jesus, contrary to that impulse and inclination, Jesus says, deny yourself. You know what self wants? Self wants to be pampered. Self wants to be entertained. Self wants to have pleasure. Self wants to eat all the foods I want to eat. Self wants to do all the things that self wants to do. And if we're going to be a follower of Jesus tonight, I tell you what, we're going to have to say no to self. And that's the clear teaching of Jesus. It is not a suggestion that Jesus was making that is totally optional. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to say no. Because our self wants things that are contrary to God, contrary to his will. We all have a sinful nature. Our sinful nature is expressed in indulging self. And so tonight we need to recognize that self is contrary to Christ. Self is contrary to Christ. What did Jesus do with self? Well, we know that he wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? Jesus went through this life completely in tune with the Father, completely directed by God. He came to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knew looming before him was a cross. He knew that there was going to be mockery. He knew that there was going to be scorn. He knew that there was going to be pain. He knew that there was going to be anguish. He knew that there was a moment that the father was going to turn his face away from him. He knew that. And it was an unbearable thought that he was going to have to face that. And it says that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Well, what did Jesus do with self? Jesus took self, laid self before God and said, God, I'm here to do your will. I will go through with your plan of redemption which we talked about two evenings ago. So Jesus completely denied himself. Jesus completely laid down self. He totally put self aside. And that is exactly 
what he's calling us to do this evening and ever since these words were penned. Say no to self. Now what about the cross tonight? The cross. We're to deny self, yes? We're to take up our cross. The cross is where one dies. And we are to die. We are to die to ourself. Die to sin. Die to what is contrary to Christ. We're to die to it. We lay down our life for Christ. And quite literally, there are many in the world today, there have been many throughout history that have literally had to lay down their lives for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for some, it is very literal. But for us here, nobody is going to take away our life because we're a follower of Jesus. But yet, Jesus says, no less to us, you need to take up your cross. We give our life to Christ, and if need be, we give our life for Christ. He defines and directs our life. It is lived according to his permission and his approval. Do you go through life thinking about whether Jesus approves? Is that common to your mind? Is this something Jesus approves? How about the music playing in your truck, your car? How about anything you may, I don't know if you're into watching things or not. Some people watch things. How about the things you watch? Are we concerned about his approval? Are we concerned about whether he is pleased? Do we seek his permission? Lord, would it be all right if I did that? And you know what? If it's not, I think he'll tell you. Do you believe that? Lord, would you want me to do that? Do you want me to go to that place? Do you want me to hang out with those people? Do you think he will be silent if you ask? Tonight, brothers and sisters, I believe that if we, if we genuinely and sincerely ask, I believe he'll let us know. One way or another. If you are a person that is actually full of the Holy Spirit, if he has actually given his spirit to you, which he said he would, then the spirit will speak. He'll say, you know what? That's probably not good for you. Okay? Are you willing to take his answer? Or are you going to be self-possessed? Are you going to just go ahead and do what you want to do anyway? Let me tell you something tonight. If you refuse to heed the Holy Spirit. How long, listen to me tonight, how long do you think he's going to talk to you if you say no to him? Do you seek God's permission and God's approval for all the areas of your life? And if you say no to him, the day may come that he doesn't speak to you. Okay? You don't like to talk to people who aren't listening, do you? When somebody, when I'm talking to somebody and they're not listening, I usually say, hey, wait, hold it. I'm talking. I want, I want you to hear what I have to say. All right? Sometimes I even do that when I'm preaching. Hey, listen up. Get this. Because we want to communicate. We want people to get the message. And so allow God to approve and permit what you do in life. That is a way of 
taking up your cross and dying and denying yourself. And then he says to follow. What does it mean to follow? Well, that's, that, that should be very simple. If you're following Jesus Christ tonight, it means very simply, you do what he says. It's really simple. Following Jesus means you do what he says. And Jesus said, this is what it means. Okay, whosoever, anybody who is going to be my child and profess to know me, they're going to follow me. And following Jesus tonight means you do what he says. Not only do you do what he says, but you also do what he does. Now you look at Jesus, you read, him, you read about him in your Bible, right? And you see how he conducted himself while he walked this earth. He went around doing good everywhere he went. He went around loving people everywhere he went. He went around healing people, helping people, blessing people, lifting people, encouraging people everywhere he went. Now I asked you tonight, would the people around you say, that is you? That is you. Everywhere you go, you bless. You help. You lift. You encourage. You heal. Everywhere you go, you are just the person everybody wants to be close to. That's what it means to be like Jesus, okay? I once had a very, shouldn't even give you illustrations about myself, but I don't know what else to talk about, I guess, but I had what other people would consider to be a deplorable individual in my vehicle, okay? Now, I'm sure it's hard for you to imagine that, but I'm sitting here in a driver's seat. In the passenger seat is a deplorable person that nobody wants to have anything to do with, okay? People do not like this person. He doesn't talk good. He doesn't act good. He doesn't smell good. He's, there's nothing, not too much good about him. I go driving out the parking lot of our school, and our deacon brother says, hey, there goes Jesus. Talking about me, because <laughs> I got this guy in my car, in my, in my van with me, okay? Would anybody ever accuse you of being Jesus? <laughs> You know, they ought to. I'm telling you tonight, brothers and sisters, that as you move through life and as you relate to people and as they see the way you live, they see the way you love, they see the way you bless and they say they see the way that you help. They should say, there is a person that reminds me of Jesus like nobody else that I've ever seen. Okay? Following Jesus means you do what he says. And you also do what he does. Okay? It's like follow the leader. Okay? You go where he goes. You're right behind him. You're doing what he's doing. And you are like him. Okay? So three things. If you're here tonight as a professed Christian follower of Christ, you're to deny yourself. And you're to take up your cross. And you're to follow. Okay? 
No one is excluded from that program. That is the program of discipleship Jesus gives to all his children. Okay? Let's move on to verse 35 tonight. Life. Whosoever will save his life. Another way to look at that is whosoever will keep his life to himself shall lose it. Okay? Keeping your life to yourself, for yourself, you're going to lose it. Self, tonight, keeping yourself for yourself. You know, the society that we live in is obsessed with saving the life. Okay? Um, I think I talked to somebody that, uh, that either is or was. Maybe it was a different church. I get in so many churches, I don't know who tells me what. But uh, talking about being on a team of paramedics, going to a, a location, a, a scene where there is, you know, somebody's having a physical problem. And I tell you, there's hardly any lengths that those in, in the medical profession will not go to to try to save a life. They just do everything imaginable, everything possible to save a life, which is a very noble thing to do. They'll do almost anything to save their life. And maybe you're here this evening and, and you're almost willing to do anything to save your life. You know, we can do all we want to to save our life. You know what's going to happen? Eventually it's going to be gone anyway. You know, it's just the way it is. We are all here temporarily. We are all pilgrims and strangers. We are all passing through. We are not permanent. And so we see people, we sometimes on the way to church and especially a few years ago, we had, there was this one man that just about every Sunday morning, we'd be driving to church, and this man would be out running. And it, it didn't hardly matter the weather. He was out running. And he looked like he's in such misery. I mean, he, he didn't run like a normal person. Most people run like this. You know, this man would run with his arms out like this. And he, his, the look on his face was just total despair. Okay. <laughs> But you know what? You know what I said when, I, when we drove by this guy? I said, live, man, live. Live, man, live. Because that's what he, he was running, because he wanted to live. And you see people out there, you know, I, I guess the doctor had a chat with them or something. They, they don't look like they're in very good physical shape, but they're out there, you know, tr trying to get some exercise. Because the doctor said, if you don't get some exercise, you're, you're not going to live much longer. And so they're, they're making the sacrifice. They're doing what they can. Oh, I want to live. Okay, not only that, and I hope I don't offend anybody tonight, but they buy expensive health food. They guzzle supplements and products of all sorts, spending huge quantities of money to buy a few more days or maybe a few more weeks, maybe even a few more months of life. There are even people who will compromise their beliefs. Because if they do not compromise their beliefs, they will be persecuted. They will have pain. Maybe even they will lose their lives. And they would rather live with compromise than lose their life. All to save the life. What will eventually happen anyway, doesn't matter what we do. We will eventually have to give up our life in this world. And so this evening, how much better it is to lose our life in Jesus Christ and to live in this world for a great eternal purpose. That is what we're here for. 
to plunge ourselves into his service, to have an all-out commitment to him, even to the disregard of life. Many have to make that choice in a very literal sense, and it is better. Listen tonight, it is better to die faithful. Better to die faithful than to live in compromise. Okay? Many have to make that choice. And if you have to make that choice someday, what are you going to do about it? Better to die faithful than to live in compromise. Jim Elliott wrote a very famous saying. You probably know it already, but he is no fool. Who gives up what he cannot keep, that's his life, your life, my life, to gain what he cannot lose. And so we have the option. We have the option, brothers and sisters, this evening, that we would give our life to and for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest investment of life that a person could ever make, to live your life for and to the Lord Jesus Christ. In losing your life, Jesus said very clearly, you save it. Jesus is asking for a total commitment. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be a crazy person. Some people think that if you completely commit your life to Jesus, somehow that's going to make you, you know, you're, you're going to go off balance, man. You, you can't live sensibly that way. That's not true. Committing your life to Jesus means that you're just going to do what he said in the beginning. You're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross. You're going to follow him. That's what it means to have be committed to the Lord Jesus. In exchange for that, in being committed to him, you will receive the best he has to give. You know, sometimes I think the reason why we live such meager lives and we don't experience the fullness of joy and peace and power and love and all the things that God wants to give us because we haven't given ourselves to him. You know, if we give ourselves to God, you know what he's going to do? He's going to bless us. He's going to make our life full. He's going to give us joy. He's going to set us free. That's what happens when you give a life to God. You're not put into a bondage. He doesn't put you in a box and say, now you stay there, you can't get out. He gives you what you need. He actually gives you what you want. Most people think that somehow they're going to be ripped off if they give their life to God. What a lie. It's of the devil. He fills your life with fullness. And he gives you freedom. He gives you abundant life. You're not going to be here long. I'm telling you, you're not going to be here long. Some of you are a little older than me. And you'll probably say, it wasn't long. It didn't take long to get here, and it won't be long until it's all over, okay? We're not going to be here long, so make it count. You know, my father died in July, and you know, everybody leaves behind some sort of a legacy, some sort of a memory, okay? They have some sort of an impact. And so what is your legacy? What is your impact? How are you going to be remembered when they lower you into the ground? Because that's where all we're, we're all going. So anyway, this evening, <clears throat> make it count. 
make your life count because you'll only be this, walk this way once. Verse 36, verse 36, Jesus asks a question. What is the answer to Jesus' question? He says, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What's the answer? You know, we're very concerned about profit. Profit. Some of you have businesses. And tax time comes around, and you can actually figure out, okay, we took in this much money, we spent out that much money, and calculate, calculate. We made a profit. Or maybe you had a loss. I don't know. But you know what? It's okay. It's okay either way. Because it's all... Temporary. But, um, you know, Jesus said, even if you do have a profit at the end of the year, even if you do have a profit at the end of your life, you have a lot of things, you you made a lot of money, you've got a big bank account, maybe you have lots of farms, lots of land. If you gain the whole world and you lose your soul, you have been ripped off. Somehow, somehow, we we think it's different. We somehow think it's different. We somehow think that maybe a fair trade to give my entire life to acquiring wealth, money, farms, land, Building an empire, a kingdom on this earth. Maybe it's worth it. How ridiculous. How ridiculous. To the loss of your soul? You know what? We go back to the story of Jacob and Esau. Now, Esau had what's called a birthright. And a birthright was really valuable. A birthright meant that he was going to be the heir of his father's wealth. And Esau came in from the field. Did you ever get that hungry? Pain. Oh, pain, weakness. Can barely drag yourself around. You know, have you ever felt that way? No, you've always eaten very well. But when you haven't eaten for a while, my wife and I try not to get too heavy, okay? So we. You know, we don't always eat a lot of food, and sometimes you just feel like, oh, I can hardly move. I can hardly do anything anymore. Well, Esau came in from the field, and he was feeling that way. He was faint. He was weak. He was hungry. He was probably dehydrated. And he saw his brother's red soup. And he said, you know what? I'm about to die. Give me some of your red soup. And, he's, and Jacob looks up and says, for your birthright. And Esau said, what good's a birthright when you're hungry? You know, sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And I tell you what, the world, I'm telling you tonight, that might sound really silly and ridiculous and funny almost. It is almost funny. It's it's, it's insane to give up your birthright for a bowl of soup. But you know what? There's a lot of people trading in eternity with Christ for the bowl of soup of this earth. It's It's like there's a little bowl of soup here. 
There's a little bit of wealth here. There's a little bit of prestige here. There's a little bit of something here. And they're willing to trade in eternal things for things that have very, very little temporal value. And so, brothers and sisters, tonight, don't do that. Don't trade in your birthright. Don't trade in your soul on a little bit of earth. Because the day's going to come. They're going to lay you in a box and put you in the ground. And that little bit of earth that you spent your whole life trying to get isn't going to be worth, worth anything. Okay? Eternal value, eternal riches, lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal. And so it is of no profit to a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their soul. You can enjoy the earth. You can enjoy the world. You can enjoy the little slice of earth you got for 75 years. 80 years, maybe 90. Not too many people go beyond that. But you spend eternity in the presence of God. So, put your investments and your affections on things above. Well, when we talk about finances and we talk about wealth, we quote words like stewardship Wisdom, common sense, those are all nice words we use to shroud greed. Sorry to say that. It's almost not very nice, but unfortunately, it's true. We're greedy, we want more, so we say stewardship. We say wisdom, common sense. Losing the soul, there is no profit to gaining in the loss of a soul. There's no benefit, no value, nothing. The wealth and pleasure of this world is gone in the blink of an eye. The man goes on into eternity with nothing. Job said, he said it well. As embarrassing as it is, sorry to have to embarrass you tonight. Naked came I into this world. And I'm going to leave the same way. I brought nothing in. I'm going to take nothing out. In fact, everything in between is all borrowed. And it will be left for someone else. Ever see the U-Haul behind a hearse? Doesn't work that way. So much better tonight, far superior tonight, to give up all to serve Jesus. To spend and be spent for the building of his eternal kingdom. Let's look at a scripture where Jesus talks about treasures, and that is Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. I almost feel bad bringing these scriptures up tonight, because these are ones we struggle with, okay? I think we struggle with these scriptures, but... Anyway, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Very hard to understand. Very hard to understand what Jesus said. It takes a university education to understand what Jesus said here. You've got to, you've got to have a, several letters behind your name that came from a seminary 
to be able to understand what Jesus said. Actually, I'm being facetious, okay? In other words, it's really, really simple, okay? He said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Any child, four years old or older, could stand up here and say, well, that means you're not supposed to lay up treasures on earth. (laughs) Now, let me ask you tonight, do you think that Jesus was a good communicator? What do you think? Do you think Jesus had a good command of language? Jesus had good command of language. Do you think he could have used different words? Maybe there's other words that would have communicated more clearly. Would he use different words to communicate more clearly? I don't think he, I don't think he needed different words to communicate more clearly. I think he used the very words he wanted to use, and I think they are translated fairly accurately for us into English. And so the message is not difficult to understand. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Very easy to understand command. And he says, but instead of that, that's what the word but means, instead of that, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And here is the clincher. And this is the reason why we are not to lay up treasures on earth. Because, and this is a statement of fact, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Statement of fact. And so wherever your investment is, that's where your heart will be. And all of you, all of you can attest to that fact tonight. That wherever you have invested, your heart is there. Okay? You invest in, Uh, And I just read this in Sword and Trumpet today. I I had this sermon ready, and I started reading my Sword and Trumpet magazine. And here it said the very same thing. But you sponsor a child in Haiti. Okay, you you send, you know, $100 a month so this child can go to school or whatever. Okay, I don't don't think it costs nearly that much. But, But all of a sudden, you're investing in a child in Haiti. You don't care what happens in Haiti. You don't care. Whatever happens to that child, I'm not too concerned about it. No, it's not that way. You start investing in a child in Haiti, and you want to, hey, what's going on over there? What's happening with that child? Is it, is it benefiting that child? Are they blessed by this? Are they, are, are they learning? Are they doing well? Are they, you know, your, your treasure, is, a little bit of your treasure is there, so there's a little bit of your heart there. It's the way it works. It's the way it works. And so if all of our investment is in this earth, our heart is going to be wrapped up in this earth. But if we have invested in the kingdom of God, if we have given to causes that advance the kingdom of Christ, then our heart is wrapped up in the investments that we have made in the kingdom of Christ. And so today, we can make decisions that will focus our attention and our minds and our lives upon the kingdom of Christ 
by the decisions of what we, the, that we make of what we do with our earthly resources. Isn't that beautiful? We can actually determine where our affections will be by what we do with our earthly things. Because where our treasure is, there is our heart. Okay, let's move on here. Enough of that. Verse 38 says, we are to esteem the... the we are to esteem Christ of greater value than our own wants, wishes, and desires. Greater value than our very life. Greater value than any earthly treasure. That comes from verse 38 where it says, Whosoever there, therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this, sinful, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So we are to, to value Christ higher than anything else. We're to own him. We're to love him. We are to serve him above all else or above any other. And he says, if we are ashamed, that means that we are to stand with him. We're to stand for him. And we do this in spite of the cost, in spite of the sacrifice, in spite of the inconvenience, the ridicule, the persecution, or even the death that may result. He uses the word ashamed. Ashamed. Tonight, let me ask you something. Is ashamed one of your options in relating to Christ? Is ashamed one of our options? Well, it's not really one of our options. Jesus made it clear that if we're ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of us. So being ashamed is not an option. But can I tell you something else? Too often, it's a reality. Okay? It's not one of our options, really. But unfortunately, it's our reality. Do you understand that? Do you understand what I just said? Ashamed isn't an option, but it is our reality. It's, our, it's, it's what we are. And it's what we do many times, even though it's so inappropriate. We try to hide when we are identified for being who and what we are. We are awkward or embarrassed. Has that ever happened to you? Do you ever feel awkward or embarrassed to be identified as one of Jesus' followers? Some of you like to go hunting, okay? I've noticed, okay? I've noticed that some of you like to go hunting. And when you are hunting with a bow, a bow and arrow, this kind right here, you stand there out in the middle of the woods with your orange clothes on, waving your arms around like this, trying to be seen. Hey, over here I am, dear. Over here, over here. Does that work? Make lots of noise. Jump around. And the deer come running. No, it doesn't work that way. You sneak into the woods before dawn to be undetected. You climb quietly into your tree stand. You have on your camouflage clothing. You don't make any noise. You stand up there like a part of the 
barely moving your head back and forth. Okay? You're trying to be undetected, right? You don't want to be detected when you are hunting deer with a bow. Camouflage. Try to hide. Try to blend in. You get the analogy, right? You get the analogy? Too many times. That's what we try to do. We're out there in the world, rubbing shoulders with society. We got Jesus in our lives. We got his Holy Spirit living in us. We are spiritually alive. We may even be communing with God. We might even be praying. But would anybody ever know? Well, we can't. We're not, we don't run around saying, hey, I'm a Jesus follower here. Look, you know, look over here. No, you don't have to necessarily do that. But you know what? Sometimes we really, really try to hide. You know, I had an experience in uh, Cabela's a couple of years ago. We don't really go to Cabela's very often, even though it's right there in our neighborhood. But we were there several years ago, and there was this Mennonite couple in there. The lady was there, and you know how Mennonite ladies are. You can't tell they're Mennonite ladies, right? You just can't tell. No, it's, they stick out like, you know, there's a Mennonite lady. She's got a dress on. She's got a covering on. This lady even had strings on her coverings, all right? She was a Mennonite lady. Right next to her is walking around this guy. Notice I say this guy because, well, you know, sorry, but uh, he's got a full camo suit on. He's got his camo suit on, and he's got his camo hat on, and they're walking around, and, you know, they're husband and wife. You can tell. They're just walking around the store together. And I said, after we left, I said to my wife, I believe, I said, if that woman would have been in this corner of the store, that man would have been in that corner of the store, you'd have had no clue that they belonged together. You just would have never known. And I remember one time as a boy, Jay Fox, dear brother Jay Fox, I was a teenage boy, and he said, you know, our ladies, they really stick out. They, they stick out in our, in our world. They're obviously what they are. He said, you know, our young men need to stand up with them and support them. I don't know exactly what he was getting at, but I just remember those words. I think, you know what? It isn't really fair that these dear sisters bear the brunt of identification as what we are. And a lot of times the men just kind of slip and slide through life and, you know, not really, not very easy to identify. Okay. So actually, that helped me to make some wise decisions in life. I, I think I made some decisions regarding that. But, you know, it's easy for us to want to just blend in, to kind of hide our identity. And you know what? That is an element of shame. We don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. We want to be counted among his children, that people know that we are his people. And so tonight, I ask us, how does Jesus feel about that? What is he going to do about that? Can we afford this? Look, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, there's a day coming that I will be ashamed of you. And if you're like me, I'm going to throw my life open to you tonight. 
There have been times I have been ashamed. And if you're honest tonight, there may be times that you've been ashamed. How can we be ashamed of Jesus? He's done so, so much for us. You know, tonight it is not acceptable and it's not reasonable for his children to be ashamed. Are we ever ashamed of Jesus? I once heard a, a man of God say something like this. You might even be able to figure out who it was, because I think he might have preached in this church. He said, and it was, this is not a quote, but it's something to this effect, but he used many of these words. He said, I hate myself for being so weak, so cowardly, so for cowering and cringing when I'm among people or in places where Jesus may not be popular. A man of God said that from our pulpit at Fairview. He said, I hate myself for being ashamed. A songwriter long ago said it like this. He said, Jesus, and shall it ever be, a mortal man ashamed of thee, ashamed of thee whom angels praise, whose glories shine through endless days. Ashamed of Jesus just as soon. Let midnight be ashamed of noon. Tis midnight with my soul till he, bright morning star, bids darkness flee. Ashamed of Jesus sooner far, let evening blush to own a star. He sheds the beams of light divine, or this benighted soul of mine. Ashamed of Jesus, that dear friend on whom my hopes of heaven depend. No, when I blush, be this my shame, that I no more revere his name. Words of Joseph Grigg. So tonight, brothers and sisters, Jesus gave his life for you. He shed his blood for you. He went to the cross and laid down his life for you. And he has done for you what no one else could ever do. And he did for you, most likely, what no one else would ever do. And so this evening, let me just refer briefly to Peter. You know, Jesus told him the night that he was betrayed, he said, Peter, Tonight, you're going to betray me. Peter said, no, Lord, you're wrong. He says, I will not betray you, and I would even die for you, with you, before I would betray you. And Jesus said to him, Peter, you don't know yourself. You do not know yourself. Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he said, no way, Lord, not a chance. And all the other disciples said the same thing. Now, we know how the story goes. They came upon Jesus in the garden. Peter tried to defend. Jesus says, put your sword away. They took Jesus away to the trial. And Peter is left with no sword in his hand because Jesus said no swords. And Peter is bewildered. Peter is amazed. Peter can't believe what's happening. And so Peter follows from far off. He goes into the court 
And there's the, there's the trial taking place, and people look at him and say, I think you belong to him. And Peter says, uh, no, no, not me. No, no. Somebody else comes along. I think you're one of them. Even You even talk like a Galilean. He says, no, 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 you're, you, you're the wrong person. No, not, not me. And then somebody else comes in. Surely you're one of his. Surely you are with him. He says, even I began to curse and swear. Say, no, I don't even know him. Now let me ask you tonight. Did Peter like what he was doing? What do you think? Was he saying, this is really who I am? This is what I'm about. I like what I'm doing. Peter hated what he was doing. It was the last thing he wanted to do. He had promised Jesus he would never deny him. In fact, that he was going to die with him instead of deny him. Peter was not doing what he wanted to do. And yet, in a moment of pressure, in a moment of bewilderment, in a moment of confusion, here he finds himself saying things he never thought he would say. The cock crew, cock-a-doodle-doo. And Peter remembered, oh, yes, Jesus said this would happen. Did he go out giving high fives? Did he say, look what a great man I am? No. Peter went out, says, and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly because he had denied the Jesus he loved. Was it always that way? Is that the way things were always going to be for Peter? Thankfully, there was a different day. There was another day. There was another day that came where Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. You know the story. Three times Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Every time Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. It was a day of forgiveness, a day of restoration. And we know only a few days later what happened to Peter. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost came upon him and inhabited his life. And Peter never, never denied his Lord again. In fact, Peter went on to give his life. He's the one that said we ought to obey God rather than man. Okay, He, he became bold, powerful, effective, manly, courageous, useful Peter. So what about us here tonight? You know, we don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. We really don't. I know we don't because we love him. He's done so much for us. And yet the reality is many times we want to slink into the shadows and not really show who we really are. Tonight we're going to, I don't even know quite what to do, but we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to an invitation tonight. Maybe the whole church will respond, I don't know. But uh, we're going to sing a song of invitation.
And if you, I'm not going to ask you to make any commitment tonight. I'm not going to ask you to stand and say, I will never deny Jesus again, and I will never be ashamed of him. I will not do that. Because I don't want you to make a promise you're not going to keep. But I will ask you this. If you would acknowledge, yes, there have been times I was ashamed of Christ. And by God's grace, it's really vague, but I want to do better. Okay? I have been ashamed. I shouldn't have been ashamed. But I want to do better by God's grace. In standing for Christ, speaking his name, being a witness for him, bringing him up, maybe when the time is right in the appropriate settings, to make Christ known. And so, is that easy enough to understand? Is that a good invitation tonight? I think that's one we can live with. So why don't we sing a song of a verse or two of a song and as we do that, just stand to your, seat, your, your feet, and I'm going to ask you to stay standing, okay? I'm going to ask you to stay standing tonight till we're done singing. Then we're going to have prayer together. Okay, so what should we sing tonight, brother? Two.